The scripture today comes from the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Mark, verses 2 through 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them, and there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man was risen from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. How do you feel when you look at the stars? I love the stars. I love a dark night sky where you can see the stars stretching from horizon to horizon. I love looking through a telescope at the stars because when you look through a telescope at the stars, you see things the naked eye can't see. You see millions more stars than you ever imagined were there. And you see more clusters and you see more colors. I love looking at the night sky. Several years ago, Jackson and I went to, and we went out west, and one of the places we went was Bryce Canyon National Park. And the whole point of going to Bryce Canyon is because that is one of the places in our country known for having the darkest sky, and therefore being able to see the most stars. More stars are 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 there to look at through the naked eye because there's just not light polluting the sky. When you look through a telescope at the stars, you do see something that's almost unexpected and and it's hard to ever think about the sky and the stars in the same way after that. The same thing happens when you put a drop of water under a microscope. You can take a drop of water that looks clean and clear to you and me, to our naked eyes, and put it under a microscope, and suddenly that simple drop of water is magnified. And we realize that there's an entire world in that tiny drop of water. And water never looks the same because you've seen it under a microscope. Both of these tools do the same thing. They magnify whatever it is that we're looking at so that we can see and understand it better than we ever could without these tools. Peter, James, and John had a similar experience with Christ during the Transfiguration. Let's put this story in context. For months now, maybe even a year or years, these disciples had been traveling with Jesus. They had heard his words through all of this time about what it meant to live faithfully. They had witnessed miracles. They had witnessed Jesus walking on water. They had witnessed Jesus calming the storm. They had witnessed the healings. They had witnessed Jesus feeding 5,000 men plus the women and children with, with the early centuries equivalent of a hamburger Happy Meal. They had witnessed all of that, and they thought 
They knew what was coming next. But he had begun to talk about what was to come. He was beginning to look ahead. And in the passages of Scripture just before this one, Jesus asked the disciples who he was. Who do others say that I am? And then who do you say that I am? Peter answered that Jesus was the Christ, the anointed one of God. And then Peter revealed that he really didn't understand all that he was saying. Because as soon as Jesus mentioned that there was suffering to come, Peter rebuked him. Peter denied that anything like that would ever happen. And Jesus actually scolded Peter by calling him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You're just trying to stop me from doing the work the Father has sent me to do. Obviously, Peter did not understand fully what the Messiah, the suffering servant, the servant who was willing to give himself for everyone, what that was truly all about. Jesus' words about suffering and his death just shattered the disciples' understanding of what he was going to be, what he was going to do, what he was going to accomplish. Their expectations just went out the window. So a few more comments to the disciples about what it meant to be a disciple, about how each one must pick up his cross and follow Christ, carrying a cross. And Jesus gives the disciples a few days to let all of these words, these newest teachings, settle in, to let them process. And then he invites Peter, James, and John to the top of a high and lonely mountain. While up there they see Jesus in his divine glory, speaking with Moses and Elijah, the cloud, the physical presence in the Old Testament that often represents God, comes and covers the top of the mountain, and they hear what is almost a repeat of God's words at Jesus' baptism. This is my son. Listen to him. Peter is so shaken up he doesn't know what to say. He thinks immediately of one of the Jewish festivals and says, let's build booths. Let's capture this moment. Let's stay here. Let's live in this moment. Let's never go down the mountain. If any of you have ever experienced what you might call a mountaintop experience, you know what I'm talking about. You don't want it to end. You don't want to return to the real world. But then suddenly it's over. Now, obviously, this was an exceptional experience because these three men remembered to share it later when Jesus said they could after his death and resurrection. They remembered to share it, and it made such an impression on them that in the way they shared it, it was included in the gospel writings. This experience with Jesus was a confirmation. It was a confirmation of what Peter had just said about Jesus being the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of God. Jesus was in the company of the greats of faith, Moses and Elijah, just as was expected by the Jewish people. It was an important confirmation, not only for the three disciples who were there and the ones who would hear the story after the fact, it was also a confirmation to Jesus. It was a confirmation to Jesus that the path on which he was walking was the one he needed to walk. It was a confirmation for the disciples so that when the time came that they needed something to remember and something to hold on to, 
during the hard times of seeing Jesus arrested, during the difficult times of seeing Jesus tried in the court of public opinion and put to death for having what that court thought was the wrong opinion. This was a confirmation, something they could fall back on, something that would help enforce and strengthen their faith so that they could remember that there was more coming, that the death of Christ was not the end. This was not only a confirmation, but it was also a revelation of who Jesus really was, of his true nature, of the glory that he had shared in heaven before he arrived on earth, and of the glory he would one day have again. It was Jesus in all of his fullness. It was like looking at Jesus through a microscope or a telescope and seeing him for all that he was for the very first time. They knew him as a man. They had been with him for all of this time. They knew that he did all of the things that, that people do. He ate, he slept, he laughed, he cried, he got angry. He was human, but now it was revealed to them that it wasn't just a man doing these things. It was God himself living as a man, living with humans doing these things. This was a confirmation, it was a revelation, it was also a proclamation of Jesus' divine right to be called the Messiah. It was God the Father's statement of affirmation, similar to the one made at Jesus' baptism, that he was the Son of God, that he was trusted and believed by God himself, and that what he had to say was important enough that we all needed to pay attention. This was a statement made by God that Jesus belonged in the company of Moses and Elijah, that he was the promised one who would arrive to follow in the company of these great men. So while it meant all of these things for the disciples, what does it mean for us today? It means the same thing that it meant for the disciples. It meant the same thing that it meant to the disciples in the days immediately following the death and resurrection. We're going through difficult times. Who would have thought in mid-February last year that we would still be wearing masks and so much of what normally happens in our world would still be shuttered and or shut down as we try to figure out our way out of a global pandemic. And now, this confirmation of who Jesus is, this revelation of Jesus in his fullness, this proclamation that Jesus is the Messiah, and even in suffering and death, there is a future. We can, we can rest on that. We can feel these words strengthen our faith, give us the faith to move another day, give us the faith to, to continue wearing masks, to continue going out in the world, give us faith to continue to remain connected to our church, even in a time when some of us don't feel comfortable coming to the church. It means all of this for us, and we can find a better answer in the words of Paul written to the Corinthians. Paul didn't see the glory of Christ on the mountain, but he did see the glory of Christ on the road to Damascus. And he believed, believed that he saw that glory for one reason, to be able to preach Christ to the world. God allowed the light of Christ 
to shine in Paul's face and then into his heart so that it could shine through his heart so that he could in turn share that light of Christ with those who were still living in darkness. We've read of Christ's glory in this story this morning. We know that Peter, James, and John saw Christ in his heavenly glory before his death and resurrection. We know that others saw him after the resurrection. We know that Paul saw him in the fullness of his glory on the road to Damascus. We, too, have experienced God's glory through Christ in many ways. We've had mountaintop experiences when he was revealed to us in a new and stronger and deeper way. We've had times when we caught a better understanding of what it means to say that Christ died for us, for me. And we're expected to do exactly what Paul said he was expected to do. We're expected to share what we've experienced. We do not preach to or for our own glory, but we preach the glory of God as demonstrated by his Christ so that the light of Christ shines out of the darkness and into the world so that the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ can be experienced by everyone. When you see the glory of Christ revealed in a new and deeper way, know that you are called to share that revelation with those around you. When you experience a confirmation of who Christ is in your life and know that you should proclaim that confirmation, do it. Do it. So that those who are still living in darkness can see the light of Christ in you and in your life and be drawn into the light of Christ in a saving way. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.